The What Are We Doing podcast and the Aquatic Biosphere Project acknowledges that we are located on Treaty 6 territory and respects the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and all First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community. Welcome to today's deep dive episode. Today we're talking to Pontus Proteins about what they're doing to revolutionize agriculture and how we can grow food for the masses in downtown spaces in our cities, how we can bring agriculture to everyone and how we can do it in a sustainable way. So I'm so excited that I got to chat with Connor, Olson and Steve, the brains and uh, the big thinkers behind Pontus Proteins and their conversation was a lot of fun. I had a great time and I think I'll really enjoy. So sit back, relax and get ready to learn about water lentils and why you need them in your life. Air. Wasser. Bunny. G. Moana. Omi. Tubi. Agua. Low. Enzio. Nihu. 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 Voda. Miri. Echi. Chai. Shui. Maji. What are we doing? And how can we do better? Your one-stop shop for everything water-related, from discussing water, its use, and the organisms that depend on it, for all the global issues that you really never knew all had to do with water. I'm your host, David Evans, from the Aquatic Biosphere Project, and I just want to ask you something. What are we doing, and how can we do better? All right, I'm so excited this week to talk to the team from Pontus. Now, they are revolutionizing the future of food production and how we're doing that in Canada. Uh, they're, they're putting in so many different new technologies into aquaponic systems. And I'm so excited to chat with them about what even aquaponics is and what the future is for this kind of technology in Canada. So uh, guys, welcome to the podcast. Can you all hey. just uh, introduce yourselves and uh, give us a bit of background? Thanks. For sure. Thanks so much, David, for having us on here. My name is Connor Ewan. I'm the CEO of Pontus. Um, you know, we're really looking forward to showing everybody, you know, how, how our system differs, how we can be able to grow things in more of a sustainable way. And I'll throw it over to Steve, just because he is the creator of this technology and has done such a phenomenal job and a really good close friend of mine. So, Steve. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Um, so, yeah, I'm Steve, the Chief Technology Officer of Pontus. Um, we've been at it for just over two years now. Uh, we just turned public, so that's uh, one of the, our biggest milestones. Our next is to build the facility that we've uh, raised the money for uh, in Surrey, BC. So, yeah, quick background. Uh, I've been in the aquaponic space for, oh, geez, something like 12 years now, at least in terms of where my interest started and where my research started. In 2014, we built a, a, a little prototype, or not even a prototype per se, but a, you know, an R&D facility, a small little thousand foot there's thousand square foot facility where we were growing all sorts of different things from uh you know flowering crops in the in the middle of winter to uh you know every every lettuce possible but basically if it was green and if it came from a seed uh we tried growing it uh and then pontus came to be because we we were asked if we could grow water lentils with aquaponics and the quick answer was of course it's been done uh, then the next question from there was, okay, can we commercialize it? And um, uh, short answer is yes, yes, we can. Yeah, so uh, I can introduce myself. Um, my name is Olson New. I'm the VP of Pontus, Water, uh, Pontus Protein. I'm very excited to speak with you and uh, let everyone know how we plan to create a better future and to rethink uh, everything we know about food and you know what, what is good for us. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to have all three of you on today. This is really exciting, an exciting project in Canada. Can you just give me an idea of, of how how did this project get started and where did Pontus come from and what gets you guys so excited about it? 
So I, I was mentioning that there was someone that came to us asking if we could grow water lentils with aquaponics. From there it was an exploratory, you know, building out a little test bed, right? With the greenhouse that we used to have, uh, the small one, it was originally designed to grow lettuce and, and all sorts of leafy greens, microgreens, herbs and spices kind of thing. And so I carved out a little uh, little area of that production and said, okay, we're going to do some experiments with water lentils and ordered some, started growing them and just, <laughs> it, they took over, man. Like, <laughs> uh, they, they just grow so freaking fast that uh you know i i was doubling the space needed uh to keep expanding uh, how many times did we do it I, I i started with eight square feet right so like a, a two by four space yeah a uh, little um I, I netted it all off cordoned off a, a little section of the of the waterbed and said okay you guys can grow here and then <laughs> within within days, it was clear that like, oh, no, this stuff is like taking over or it, it wants to. Right. And so then we started realizing how uh, how incredibly quick the stuff grows, how how much harvest that you can get every day. And then, and then from there, it was just tons of experiment. We grew to a section of with 32 square feet and, and then we we're really able to start experimenting with, you know, how, how much can we harvest per day? You know, do we harvest 20% uh, and, and, you know, what happens the following day? What happens if we harvest, um, you know, 80% of the bed? What happens? And then we kind of dialed it in to like, okay, we can, we can harvest anywhere between 30 to 40 to 50% of the bed without any problems. And, and you know, we're, we're figuring out what those problems are. Um, if, you, if you harvest too much, you, you end up having uh, algae issues because there's too much exposed water. And therefore, you know, the nutrients in the water plus, the, plus all of the... Uh, excuse me, the nutrients plus the, the lights end up becoming just breeding grounds for algae. So, you know, you have to combat that. But if you if you don't harvest enough, there's issues as well, because uh, it <laughs> grows so thick that it, it starts to choke itself out almost in a, in a way like it, it's competing with itself. So, uh, yeah, we kind of dialed in that sweet spot of, of how much we can produce. And then, um, yeah, just kept expanding. So eventually we we got rid of all of our lettuce production. Uh, decided like, okay, let's wow. do this, let's do this full tilt and had the entire greenhouse dedicated to water lentil production and different experiments. So we, we, we started with different blends as well. So instead of, uh, just the, the one that we originally ordered, we ordered five more from the, uh, Rutgers university. They have an emporium, they call themselves where they manage thousands of different strains from around the world, whether it's, you know, Wolfia microscopia from India or Lemna Minor from, uh, well, actually Lemna Minor is kind of everywhere mm -hmm. now too. But anyways, <laughs> so we we did some exploratory uh, investigations on like which strains were best and why we thought they were best, put some hypotheses together, and then started testing some stuff. Um, testing if, you know, one strain outgrew the other or if they were, you know, like I said, competing or if they're more symbiotic. And yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. We've dialed in on a, a recipe of a blend of five that we're going to market with. And that's kind of where we're at with, with, uh, with the commercialization of, on, on that side, besides, of course, the scale. So we're, we went from 1,000 square feet to the facility that we're building in Surrey now is uh, just over 20,000 square feet. So a, literally a 20x wow. on the, the scale of the facility. Yeah, that's a huge jump. Yep. During that experiment, that's when me and Connor and Steve were like, well, I think we have something very interesting here in the form of water lentils, especially with the attention around plant-based protein and the fact that the technology that Steve you know, developed is so revolutionary in the way that it grows things, that it's, it's actually taking plant protein and take, making it a different level uh, in terms of how sustainable it is, how good it is for you, and how clean it is in the way that we grow it. Yeah, Connor, Connor and Olson, the, the three of us were really in it from the very beginning. Uh, as, soon, as soon as the answer was made of, yes, we can grow it, we came together and we're like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> yeah. Basically. It's been a fun adventure ever since. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we're at a great place too. Like, uh, I'm sure you've seen the press releases. Like, We just raised mm -hmm. uh, $3.2 million for, the, for the, our first facility. Yeah, um, congratulations, with, guys. That's huge. So uh, we basically, we did a financing at 15 cents for the uh, 3.2 million that we raised to construct and build out the 20,000 square foot facility, even though we actually leased that property. So we didn't have to build the building, but there will be mm. some uh, tenant, tenant 
improvements that need to be done in order for us to be fully operational. Uh, but uh, attached to that um, financing at 50 cents, we also did a full warrant at 30 cents. So once those are exercised, they'll allow us to kind of the company to have an extra $6.4 million of additional income to operate and be able to expand into different areas. Wow, that's awesome, guys. You guys are crushing it in this field. That's uh, I'm so impressed. All about water lentils. And I mean, I haven't really heard too much about water lentils myself. So yeah, I'm 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 so curious about water lentils and and uh, aquaponics. So uh, I'm sure we'll get to why water lentils. But could you guys just maybe go through a little bit of of what is aquaponics and and is it really different word for just aquaculture or hydroponics? Um, common misconception. Uh... But sh- short answer is it's it's neither. It's it's in fact it's the combination. So may- maybe you could say it's both, but it's not one or okay. the other. <laughs> it's it's absolutely both. It's the combination of hydroponic kind of technology where you've got plants growing in water. Normally with hydroponics, you're adding you know you've got some sort of mixing basin where you're adding a little bit of chemical A, a little bit of chemical B, and then you know maintaining certain nutrient levels so you might add a little bit more magnesium or if your iron's a little low or if the plants are going yellow right, you might right. add more of another thing you know so there's a constant kind of monitoring until you really dial in on that recipe and then uh, the, you know the pros and cons of hydroponics uh, i mean hydroponics is usually quite expensive on water you're 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 draining that water basin or that mixing tank you know every 10 days or so flushing it out and and adding a new mixture and it's just generally expensive for to get those nutrients. And then also, it's not really great for the environment. Like, it's a mined and manufactured ingredients. Um, okay, so then mm. let's shift to aquaculture. Aquaculture is just the farming of fish is really all that's really talking about. I guess I guess it could be things like shrimp and such as well. I mean, it's kind of open-ended, mm-hmm. but it's a, to the seafood farming, essentially. But anyways... Uh, so, so aquaculture by itself isn't a great solution. Uh, a lot of aquaculture facilities are kind of this experiencing similar things, but for different reasons. They, they're also having to exchange their water very often because the nutrient load coming from the fish, right, basically all the effluent that they're creating, the ammonia from their gills, as well as the, the solid waste that they're producing, has to go somewhere. So with an aquaculture facility, you're constantly flushing this either to a field or to, uh, you know, a sewer or a septic tank or or however you're dealing with it. And, um, you know, inputs wise, you're, you're, you know, you're buying fish feed and you're maintaining the water and everything. So, so that, those are the two differences. Uh, now what aquaponics is, is, um, it's, it's kind of like a a match made in heaven in the sense that you take the pros and the cons of both hydroponics and aquaculture you get you get all of the pros but none of the cons <laughs> so so you have the nutrient load that's coming from the fish that gets utilized by the plants you're no longer having to buy nutrients for the plants it's all coming from the fish uh you, you still have to pay for fish feed of course but it that's uh we can we can talk about the finances later but or the operating costs and everything but if you if you'd like to dig into the details there but it, it's minuscule compared to the revenue that you're getting at the other end. And then the, the really, really big one, though, for not just for operating costs and everything, but for environmental concerns is that you're, we don't have to flush water anymore. Mm, right. Right. So uh, we, we boast about it all the time in our, in our social media posts and everything, saying that we recycle or reuse at least 95% of the water. And I, I'm going to be doing like a really granular analysis of our consumption and uh, uh uh, essentially our sewer usage, I guess, um, going forward, like this, this next coming year will be kind of, uh, be quite analytical about it, but I'm, I'm certain mm-hmm. that we'll be, be able to show it's even better than 95%. Like we're, we're expecting to only need to dr- uh, draw something like 0.2 liters, 0.2, is it 0.2 gallons or 0.2 liters, uh, off the top of my head. I don't remember, uh, per, <laughs> per hour. And it's like over the year, that's nothing like it's, it's, you know, it, a yeah, person using a shower uses more water than we're going to yeah. be using. So Steve, for the basic people, or the, the, the people that don't have a basic understanding of aquaponics, do you mind just explaining to them like the process of what it actually is? Oh, and of then, course. Uh, and then the benefits to both parties in terms of the plants and the fish in the system. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I'm kind of jumping all over the place in terms of the economics and talking about. Uh, uh, <laughs> no problem. The, the Allison's taking my job than... away from me. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he is actually good at keeping me on point. I can get lost in the weeds sometimes. Let me tell you about the science. So, in general, what aquaponics is all about is the, like I said, it's the combination of aquaculture and hydroponics. So, really higher level, it's a, it's a combination of fish and plants. Most importantly, though, it's the, the right amount of fish to the right amount of plants, right? There has to be a symbiosis there of uh, nutrient demand from the plants versus uh, nutrient output from the fish, right? And then just to make it a little bit more complicated is that there's a third player that we don't really talk about too much, which is like the biological engine, something that you might appreciate uh, with, your, with your biology <laughs> background is that yeah. there's two different types of, of nitrifying bacteria, specifically nitrosomonas and nitrobacter, that are responsible for converting the effluent from the fish into uh, the plant food. So, so aquaponics in general is this like trifecta golden ratio of uh, the right amount of fish to the right amount of bacteria to the right amount of plants and to make it all in one ecosystem so that everybody's happy. So Steve, I think that's a really good point that you just hit on right now, just because I think of a lot of people who they hear we grow plants using aquaponics. They just imagine a big pool with fish in it and the plants on top, right? So it's much more intricate than that. So maybe Steve, I'll just allow you to kind of explain the cycle and how that works. Yeah, so we don't have them growing in the same body of water. Uh, we, we actually have 10 different fish tanks that the fishers are you know swimming in uh, throughout the facility. 9, 10, 11. Actually, I just counted. There's 11. <laughs> so 11 <laughs> fish tanks. Uh, and then there's one large basin that we call the MBBR, which is the Moving Bed Bioreactor, which is giant. Uh, sorry, which is a giant body of water that has a bunch of um, surface area available for the, the for the bacteria. So that's where we're farming essentially the, the nitrosomonas and nitrobacter. And then in a bunch of in another room, in a basically sealed away in another biosecure room, is our giant racking or shelving that have these water beds that are kind of, you know like picture a bathtub except it's only about six inches of water actually even less than that say five inches of water and then this this, oh, wow. this bathtub is eight feet wide and 144 feet long so these massive uh water beds that the water lentils are are growing on and then we have them in shelves so that we're lighting them with leds and then there's just enough space between the water and the LEDs to have a robot that's able to go in there and do our harvesting for us. Wow, robot harvesting. That's so cool. Yeah, we've named him Harv. <laughs> <laughs> Harv. Yeah, so Harv stands for Harvesting Automation Autonomous Vehicle, just because engineers love acronyms. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, the coolest the coolest part about this, um, and Steve touched on it earlier, is the fact that it's it's very a symbiotic relationship between all parties here. Because you ha you have a problem where when you're farming fish in agriculture traditionally, that it's basically spending the entirety of his life in its own waste, right? Um, mm. Because uh, Steve can talk a little bit more about how it works, but as far I learned this is that fish they basically pee through their gills or skin, uh, and it's ammonia. And then we have bacteria that uses that ammonia and converts it into plant food for the plants. And because we're doing that, then we're also in exchange cleaning the water for the fish so that the water that it's living in is always clean. And that's why we're able to recycle so much of it as well. Uh, Steve, if you could just. Yeah, no, that's, that's that. yeah, that's quite accurate. Yeah, absolutely. You got there it, buddy. Go. Yeah. So um, we're very excited about kind of being able to take this into the limelight because there's a lot of other things that we account for. Uh, we plan to use solar energy, which is a huge plus, right? Because we're we're lowering our energy consumption even more, as well as the fact that it's almost like a laboratory environment where we're completely biosecure, which is a huge issue with contaminated food sources and food security that we might see in the next 50, 100 years that we're tackling here, uh, as well as the fact that we can use this technology to grow plants everywhere and anywhere. So that countries don't have to spend so much energy shipping containers across the world just so that they have bananas, uh, you know, across the country. <laughs> uh, instead, they can just have it locally grown because we have the right climate for it indoors. And it's a, a completely biosecure zone and it has its own climate. We're able to grow plants that should not be able to grow in their environment. Or that time of year. Right. That's so cool. Like, uh, yeah, you can just grow 
basically anything as long as you have correct nutrients and and the the cycle correct so i i guess you guys have plans for bananas in the future or something like that well, i <laughs> just, just dropping a little hint there <laughs> no no i just threw bananas out there for fun but <laughs> it doesn't stop it doesn't start and end with water lentils but we just want to do one thing right first and that is innovating the plant protein uh sector but then from there obviously we're not going to stop there right we're going to mm-hmm. go through and and take steve's technology and really impact the world and be able to educate a mass variety of on a global scale of what this technology can do for us. Yeah. So on, on the, on the, like when we're talking about this technology, is this being used a lot in Canada or, or around the world? Is this, is this something that we've been using for a while or is this really revolutionary now? And it's, it's starting to grow at that's, this point. That's a great question. The, the short answer is that aquaponics has been around for, uh, I was going to say centuries, but I mean, that's, that's undervaluing it. I mean, the Aztecs had a version of, of aquaponics, uh, the Chinese, really? have, yeah, the, the Chinese have had a, a version of aquaponics, um, going back. I, I've heard I, Egypt I, I, too. That's right. Yeah. Egypt as well. I mean, it, the way that the Aztecs did it is that they, they repurposed a lake and they turned the top surface of it into like a floating kind of garden. So essentially, the, the they had made these reed rafts that would uh, then be planted with soil, and there was gaps between the reeds so that the the plants that they put in the soil could dip or sorry dig their way down and drink drink straight from the nutrient rich water because there's fish in the water. And, and then uh, the Chinese have been doing it with a combination of uh, crops plus carp, I believe it's carp, anyways. And mm. and yeah, so so in terms of like you know generally using fish to to provide nutrients for plants that's been around for a crazy long time um in terms of commercializing it though it is relatively new so back in i think it was 1979 is when dr james Ricosi put a uh a research facility together in the university of virgin islands and it's been him and his colleagues that really revolutionized the commercialization of this for actually turning uh, you know, things like lettuce production, leafy green production um, into s- something like what Pontus is doing now. The innovations that Pontus is getting behind is on the automation of side of things. So so we're really proud of our, our CVAS system, the, the vertical aspect of growing. So the, the facility that we're moving into, or, or sorry, renovating, or however you want to, uh, the facility that we're leasing anyways, it's 30 feet tall in the inside. So it, it allows wow. us to yeah. really maximize that space and, or sorry, it challenges us to really maximize that space rather. Mm-hmm. And so our, our harv that I was mentioning is able to go up all, all, well, basically all the way up to the ceiling, but there's, you know, we're planning nine rafts or raft beds or water beds, I should say, uh, full of these lentils and, and, you know, a human safely can manage the first three levels kind of thing whereas harv will be mm-hmm. able to go all the way up in terms of revolutionizing the or, or innovating the the aquaponic space yeah going vertical is one of two of the really big things maybe even three of the innovations on the or of the entire industry i mentioned three so i'll touch base on the other two real quick so the the second one is the difference between a coupled aquaponic system versus a decoupled aquaponic system. And and the biologist in you would be able to appreciate this, I think. So the <laughs> a typical aquaponic system is like I've described before, or a coupled aquaponic system is basically one, um, not necessarily body of water, but one ecosystem of water that's held at the same temperature. It has the same nutrient levels basically throughout. You know, the pH is the same. You know, all, all of the, like, the mm-hmm. uh, specific parameters that you'd be measuring for whether it's, you know, PPMs of nitrogen or... Right, it's basically the same, yeah. Yeah, it's fairly homogenous throughout the entire system. Whereas what we aimed to do, what we've had engineered, is a decoupled aquaponic system, meaning that the fish side of things of the facility, so 10.5 metric tons of fish throughout the year, they're swimming around in their own ecosystem, in their own kind of loop, Mm -hmm. I suppose I should call it. And then the plants are in their own loop, and then there's a third loop that it, that ha- allows for nutrient exchange between the two. But but the the flow rates in these ecosystems are really important. So there's 
uh, on the order of about 12,000 gallons per hour in circulation on the fish side, uh, and same on the plants on the, on its side. But then there's a, another loop at about 12 times less of is the Nutri Exchange loop, so about 100 gallons an hour. And okay, and so yeah. so that's actually pretty dang important though because it, it lets you change the temperature or some of the system parameters of each side without messing with the other side. Right. So, so on the, on the fish side, for example, if we wanted to grow rainbow trout and we do rainbow trout are kind of princesses, they only want to be at about 16 degrees Celsius. (laughs) And if you warm it up too much, they don't like it. If they, uh, if you cool it down too much, they stop eating. Like they, again, they don't like it. So, you know, somewhere there's kind of the Goldilocks thing. You've got to lock it, the, the, the fish temperatures in at about 16 degrees Celsius. Whereas water lentils are a warmer weather species, they they prefer you know easily above twenty, but closer to twenty nine. Or actually, twenty nine is kind of that that max of uh, you know you can actually see some some. They don't like it if it gets hotter than twenty nine. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. A- anyway, so yeah. so a decoupled aquaponic system is just simply you kind of separate the two fish and the plants, but it's not just you know aquaculture on one side and hydroponics on the other because you still have that nutrient exchange between the two. It's just you're you're kind of concentrating those nutrients before it goes over. Yeah, you're trying to maximize your growth potential by giving it like its best case scenario of top parameters that it needs to to prosper. Yeah, exactly. In both, both cases. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to compromise anymore, right? Whereas yeah, exactly. with a with a basic aquaponic system or just a, a coupled aquaponic system, you you absolutely are compromising. You know, there's a range of where the fish will be happy. There's a range of where the plants will be happy, and you try to make them both happy. But uh, in some yeah. extremes, uh, you know, with specifically rainbow trout and and water lentils, y- you would have a problem if you weren't decoupled. So yeah, so that's one of the yeah. other big innovations that we're putting into the commercial uh, commercialization of water lentils and and our aquaponic system in general. And then the third would just be on the automation side. So uh, now we we plan to hire um, at least four up to eight people for this new facility that we're building. So it's not that it's going to be completely hands off and everything robot, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but on the automation side, we are focusing on having this. Uh, the, the, at least the harvesting part of the water lentils automated, and and that's mm. something that's really important for us. You know, from my phone, I can monitor the the state of the entire facility. From right. you know, for like, are there any doors open? What's the temperature over here? Is how's the water temperature? Are all the pumps running? Are all the filters clean? Uh, is the HVAC working properly? You know, is the filter need to be changed on anything right just like the system parameters of the of the aquaponic ecosystem being able to have uh, a close monitor on that is really important and then the next step for that is to introduce an ai to the whole mix so we we teach a machine we start feeding it all of this data right like you know here's here's how much product that we're producing with these environmental parameters and then once once it starts learning the the conditions that it's that it's in we give it creative control where we say okay mm-hmm. so if you tweak the uh you know the amount of iron for example in the um in the water but with a we, <laughs> actually i should talk about that too so we have a nutrient control system um working with a company called think tank automation where you can really dial in the amount of specific additives if if you wanted to so for example, the iron that I mentioned, you know, you can add a little bit of chelated iron. What what mm-hmm. happens with that, right? So, or what happens if you change the pH by 0.01? You know, does that affect the amount of product that you get out of it? Or what about the light? Yeah, you know, it's, it's how do you how to get the best recipe to to really just get the best production, right? How to get it tasting just right or growing the best that it can? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in our first year or so of being in in full production, we'll start building this database to be able to feed a machine learning algorithm to be able to start experimenting. Now, we, we have a lot of these parameters dialed within certain ranges just from the experiments that we've been doing for the last couple of years. But we're really excited to see what a machine can do. You know what I mean? Like, we're really mm-hmm. excited yeah. to see, like, you know, is there anything that we didn't think of? Or is there anything that, you know, that we have close, but could be closer, or could be better? That whole phrase, uh, faster, better, stronger. <laughs> see what a machine can do. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, adding in the AI component is revolutionizing so many different areas of our lives. Even with the work that I've been involved with, uh, within wildlife biology, in recognizing bird calls, in hours and days and days of recordings, and rather than sitting there with headphones on, then you can teach things to look for things like that. And and yeah, this is a perfect case within agriculture. Smart ag is is such a huge movement. It's awesome that you guys are integrating this so early on into your system and to be such a big part of your system moving forward well, well we have to right because for us if, if you ask us where we see it in 5 10 20 years right we, we, we want to see it in giant skyscrapers in the middle of new york you know just example it's probably not going to happen maybe not maybe potentially but yeah uh, for us to be able to grow all types of produce that a community needs we needed all types of different climates and a way to monitor all of that and a human kind of monitoring 5 50 60 different plants growing and the different climates that it has to uh, thrive under that that's very it's not very realistic so we have to integrate the ai system right right steve so yep. i feel like that's why we're taking this approach to be able to put it on scale and to remove human error out of the equation and i mean just the the having a computer monitor things for you is insanely smart i mean it, it's <laughs> it's been around in the egg tech space long enough that now there's so many like off-the-shelf monitoring systems and nutrient uh, delivery systems that are out there, but not necessarily with creative control. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like preset values. Right. Like you know, keep a sensor in the water. If the values get below this, then add a little bit more. But but that's assuming already that the humans have the most perfect recipe already dialed in. Exactly. But if, if yeah. you're experimenting with different blends or different species in general, they're all going to be just a little bit different. And, and, you know, it might even change throughout the year. So you might have a recipe yeah. that's dialed in great for the summer, but if the ambient temperature changes or if the dew point changes, you know, maybe the transpirations rate change. Like there, there's all sorts of stuff that a computer would be able to notice and adapt for on the fly and to olson's point if one person or even a team of people were responsible for monitoring versus something that can monitor the situation like a hundred times in a second if you wanted it to like <laughs> it, yeah it's, it's, it's a totally different playing field yeah probably just add one more point we have literal air showers when you walk into the facility so that biosecurity is a huge point for us that we're continue mm -hmm. to expand upon you know what an air shower is david no no i don't please tell me yeah air shower is like have you ever seen those movies where you go into like a laboratory like one of those like, contagion oh, and, just, and yeah. it sprays all the air we're taking that onto a food scale so that nothing that uh, we don't know or want enters the facility and this is a huge topic considering a couple factors one is that COVID-19 started off from contaminated food source, just like every other disease out there. And for us to remove that, instead of spending billions and billions of dollars on methods like tracking or vaccination or studying uh, about the, the disease or preventative education that we're, we have to do now because it's too late, instead, work on a way to secure our food source to make sure that nothing like this happens again, where the food that we eat is as clean as can be. This is actually one of the biggest focuses of us as a company is educating the world on why we need to do this and why we need to do this now. And we just had a great learning lesson uh, that we can expand upon and move towards so that we can prevent something like this from happening again, just because there's a contaminated food source. The other thing is that we're able to have food security. Because if you look at China, I don't know if you heard, but they have like this clean plate policy where if you're limited to the amount of dishes you can order based on how many people are in the dining room, you, oh, uh, no. Yeah, this is a huge, huge news. Uh, and locusts are tearing through. This is a, maybe six months. I can't remember exactly, maybe about a year ago, where locusts tore throughout Africa. Uh, yeah, the Middle East. Uh, all I have an episode here. coming out about that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is a huge, <laughs> food security is a huge issue. And since ancient times, humans have been at the mercy of Mother Nature, per se. When crops fail, when natural disaster happens, we lose all control. And we've mm -hmm. managed to control it to a certain extent with the use of chemical fertilizers and chemical pesticides. However, what do we give up in exchange for that, right? So, so that's why for our company, it's a lot more. Uh, our, our technology revolutionizes agriculture on so many levels because it's secure. It's and we have food security, we have biosecurity. It's sustainable, uh, and uh, all the reasons that Steve uh, listed about the automation and the AI. We have a lot of grounds covered. 
And we think that we can change how everyone thinks how food is produced on a natural scale. And yeah, it's like, like Alson's saying, it's really just about doing things in the right way. You know what I mean? Like if you didn't have all of this previous knowledge of how agriculture was done and how plants were grown, you know, the first thing I'd want to make sure that there's no chemicals or synthetic things that I'm eating because, you know, that's, it's never good for the body. Uh, number two is like, you know, I, I wouldn't want necessarily birds flying over and going to the bathroom right on it. You know what I mean? So there's a <laughs> lot of things that, you know, we, we can be able to stop by, by doing it in this way. And, and I think that, uh, you know, with Pontus, we've, we've found a great way to do that. Yeah. That's so many great and interesting points and something that yeah you're entirely right we're so disconnected from where our food comes from these days and oh yeah as we move more and more towards cities if we can bring agriculture into those cities in a form that people can understand people people are more understanding i feel like now of seeing an uh, maybe an aquaponics with led lights or and pl- growing plants in that kind of way because that's how people kind of grow plants in their their houses. There's very few people that are really connected to the land in the, a traditional farming sense other than seeing it as driving by or something like that. So, yeah, I think this is, yeah, this is uh, such a, a, a good move forward. Well, we put power back to the hands of the people, right? Because you're looking at Africa or p- places with unfavorable climates being able to produce their own food. So China doesn't have to import all their grain and all their food from Australia and the U.S., whereas you know, we don't have to import bananas from South America, for example. So that, those exactly. are, that's another big issue that we, you know, we, we, we would have uh, a hand in potentially fixing. Exactly. Now, you guys are focused right now on water lentils. I understand it's mostly in the realm of making protein powder. And you guys mentioned water lentils as, as kind of lemon to minor, which I know is as duckweed as being a biologist in so many wetlands around uh, around Canada. I'm, I'm quite familiar with it. But I'm just curious, why water lentils? Uh, why is that the starting crop of choice? Uh, sure. And is, are there other crops that you're looking to expand to quickly? Well, you know, the reason why we started with water lentils first was mainly because of the fact of, you know, how crazy it is with the plant protein space right now. There's a lot of people who are trying trying to transition their diet over to being able to eat plant-based food because they do understand it's more, you know, it's healthier for them than, than eating so much animal meat and even red meat a lot of the time. So because of that, you know, when, when, when we looked at all of the other products that were out in the plant-based protein space, majority of them were pea and soy. And then those would range between, you know, 8 and 12% protein. And if you look at most protein powders, it's just isolated protein and really that's the only real value that you get out of it where with water lentils there's two things that we love about it steve touched on one and how quickly they grow um in steve's in our system it doubles every 24 hours and the nutrient side of things uh so like steve said we can harvest 365 days a year and when it comes to the nutrients of water lentils you know depending on which strain that we're growing uh ranges between 42 and 50 percent protein so that's significantly higher than any of the plants that are used in the majority of the products that people eat today. And then it also has all 10 essential amino acids, uh, has two non-essential. It has calcium, chlorophyll, iron, potassium, um, magnesium, a handful of things that, that make it a superfood in its own. And it's not just good as a powder, that we have tons of actual recipes that we've created out of it. So we actually have a, a burger that we've made out of it. We have what? A, yeah, absolutely. So a burger wow. that we made out of it. We have a plant-based pasta with protein in it. We have a uh, pancake and waffle and muffin mix, depending on how much water you would add. And that would also have protein in it as well. Um, we have a vegan cheesecake that we've created, a handful of different products that we plan to get into. And this is just the start. Plus, and the fact is, is right now, like we, we mentioned before, we're, we're only going to be growing water lentils in this first facility. But our ideal situation would be to have enough facilities that we could actually produce every single vegetable we would need to produce every single one of our own recipes. So we know every single thing in those recipes is biosecurely grown. That's incredible. That's so fascinating. Yeah, I, I had no idea water lentils were the the unsung superfood of uh, of the next little while. So glad to get on the bandwagon early. We're approaching water lentils as kind of like a soy alternative. Well, not kind of, but it is a soy alternative. Whereas if you look at soy, it's applicable to many types of already eating foods like tofu, soy milk, and a lot of other products that they, they create with it. So we're trying to do the same thing where we created a lot of at-home recipes, as such the burger the pasta so that people can try at home and they know what to do with the powder but as well as commercialization of a few of those products that we we have a eye set on we think water lentils is a very very innovative uh and 
crucial piece of the puzzle in terms of having a complete source of protein and having it be the best form possible. Yeah, totally. I'm so curious. I have to ask, what does it actually taste like? You know what matcha powder tastes like? Yeah. Yeah, it's really similar. Okay. Like incredibly similar. We we actually had one of the recipes that um that we tried earlier on is, hey, could we make like a water lentil matcha tea of sorts? And Olson blended it with matcha and, and couldn't tell that water lentils were even in there. Wow. Yeah, so it has a very matcha light taste. If you have anything added to it, it usually masks it up unless you're putting like a ridiculous like 30, 50 grams of water lentils in there. But if you're just using it as an ingredient to add a little bit of nutrients, add some nutrients or add a bit of flavor or texture. And we have a we have a culinary director that's been done a really good job with creating applicable recipes that our customers can try at home. That's so fascinating. I'm so excited to, to test it out uh, and try it in uh, all these different recipes. Actually, just to spot out to our, our website, then if you go to PontusWaterLentils.com slash recipes, you can see it. Uh, a bunch of the YouTube videos that our, our marketing team has put together and our, our chef, she's showing them off in spectacular fashion. Awesome. So excited to go check that out. So yeah, you're not only creating just a protein powder for like protein shakes or something like that. This is something that can be used for multiple different recipes. It's, it can be additive for everything. And and it sounds like it's, it's something that can be grown anywhere. So it can be grown in places that are prone to droughts, uh, locusts, even areas that are in the north where it's difficult to grow their own crop. I'm thinking of flying communities. The food production capacity in a lot of these places just is so low and they have such low access to healthy foods because of the cost of shipping it to them. So this is such an uh, an awesome way to be able to create create value for them. You got it pretty bang on what we're trying to accomplish here, um, and it is a very prevalent problem that we see today. So we we take it as our mission to basically be like, hey, you know, this is a, a very plausible way of how we can solve these major issues that we're facing. So I'm I'm curious too. So it's not only the water lentils or the crop that you're choosing, but you also have fish as part of this system as well. So. Do you have plans for selling off the rainbow trout or growing different types of fish? Uh, yeah, specifically just the rainbow trout to start. Once we move on to a, a future facility, like we're going to be kind of dubbing it like Pontus Gigafactory, <laughs> something that we'll move to down the road. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll start experimenting with other types of fish, but rainbow trout is what we're locking in at first. And, and yeah, yeah there, there's absolutely a revenue stream that comes from the fish. Um, our first facility should net us over 200 grand a year from fish. Wow. Wow. Yeah. There's also a, a handful of recipes that we have for the fish as well, from like candied fish to fish dips and all those different types of stuff. You know, Steve MacArthur's um, lovely, amazing girlfriend made this fish dip and it was just to die for. And we were there at the facility. <laughs> she brought it and we ate like the whole thing in a matter of like an hour. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. The big thing for the fish side is that we're this allows us to be able to produce food on a sustainable scale. Uh, and not compromise, which is what fish farming has done with its essentially living its own waste, right? And not in the best environment. As Steve can attest to this, that the fish are going to get everything they want in their entire life. They're going to be fed, I think, twice a day. They're going to have clean water constantly. They're going to have lots of room to swim. So they'll be happy fish. Um, whereas <laughs> the, the, the farm fish that we see today, they're cramped up in really small spaces because our most of our revenue doesn't have to rely completely on the fish. The focus for us is the water lentils. So we're not deemed for more production of fish equals more revenue. We're very focused on the plant side of things. So it also allows us or at least make a stent in the overfishing problem that we have today, uh, mm -hmm. having all these countries fight for the Southeast uh, China Sea, trying to collect as many resources as possible. But life is finite in the ocean and we don't, we don't want to overstep our place. And we want to have a sustainable way to produce the fish that uh, consumers eat today. Uh, instead of having to destroy the natural environment that we have. Yeah, and it's another way of connecting people with their food sources as well. If, if you have some way of being able to demonstrate it to people, and if you have facilities that are closer to population centers, then that also is just added benefit to connecting people with their food and, and, and not just getting a fish on your plate that's come from 100 miles away somewhere out in the ocean or something like Agreed. that when we Agreed. live completely inland or something like that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's really awesome. 
How much do you guys expect this to to cost? So if I'm a consumer going into a grocery store and I I come across uh, the Pontus products, is it is it going to be comparable? And do you know if there's other aquaponic products, or, or are you selling this already? Um, where where can I where can I get my hands on it? So so yeah, short answer is that there are companies already selling aquaponic products, uh, not necessarily water lentils, as far as I know. Uh, and I'd be happy to be proven wrong. We're the only company in Canada that's growing uh, water lentils on a commercial scale. The other companies that are out there in the aquaponic space are doing all sorts of things. It, it's a really innovative field. You have a lot of entrepreneurial, you know, experimental types of people that are doing just all sorts of fun things. And yeah, we're we're in a unique space in the sense that we're trying to commercialize it. You know, it's always a challenge, no matter what crop you're doing. Uh, you have to be really cognizant of uh, of the entire economics of everything. A short answer on the where you can get the product is from us eventually. Once this new facility is done, <laughs> uh, by all means, come check us out. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll be selling our product online as well as uh, some of the retailers that Olson and Connor can speak to. Yeah, so our facility is expected to be up sometime June or early summer. We are, we're in the permitting phase right now. So the, the ball's in the government's court to prove our building permits. Uh, as soon as that's done, Steve is getting the equipment on the way and we'll be setting it up, becoming Bob the Builder for a little bit. But in terms of cost, we will be comparable to a lot of the products out there currently. However, we do have a very niche market where it's a, it's honestly, it's like organic to the next level. We're not trying to be ridiculous here. It will be at a point where people will feel comfortable uh, in terms of our price because we want to make sure that everybody has a chance to try the food of the future and contribute to the cause of saving the environment, having a sustainable source of food and supporting the cause that Pontus is trying to fix. Awesome. Just to kind of wrap this up, I guess, can you guys tell me a bit about your own career paths? I mean, we talked a bit about how you guys got the ball rolling on Pontus, but what led you guys to get to the positions where you could really bring this to, to life? Because this is a huge project and, and it, it's really impressive. But I mean, I wouldn't know where to start with planning a facility like this. So yeah, if you guys don't mind just touching on that, that'd be awesome. Well, I, we all came about it different ways. I kind of came at it from more of like, how do we feed the world kind of mindset? Uh, I mean, how did we meet? A mutual friend, really, actually, just like, a, yeah, it's just one of those like, hey, this is really cool. Uh, can we do it together kind of concepts? And um, I can touch to that a little bit, Steve. Um, so I actually a few years ago, and I've always been kind of like interested in starting businesses, a bit of a serial entrepreneur, me and Olsen, I think it was... Um, four and a half years ago now, started a small venture capital fund together. And uh, we were looking for really the next project that we wanted to be a part of. You know, we were heavily involved in cannabis and blockchain before. Um, but, you know, those um, markets weren't doing necessarily as well. And we wanted to make sure that moving into, you know, the new world in 2019, we thought there was going to be a recession. We didn't realize it was going to be COVID-19 that <laughs> caused a lot of the problems. But um, we were looking for something that we knew would do well, regardless as to whether or not people, you know, had money to buy weed or they were, had money to buy Bitcoin, but people always had to eat. Mm -hmm. And we figured that, you know, it was only so long before people started towards lean towards the plant-based protein space. And, and, and really, it was, it was already starting to happen, but it just, it really, the highway opened up for us in a huge way after we had made that commitment to happen. And I was introduced to Steve through actually a, a, a bit of a mastermind group that I built here in Vancouver a handful of years ago uh, that was just uh, young, motivated guys who were entrepreneurial. And, you know, every month we would have a meeting and come together and share different opportunities. And one of the guys that I was really good friends with uh, introduced me as Steve MacArthur. And then uh, through that, I've known Olsen since he was 16 years old. So we're basically like brothers. And we've worked on so many things together. And then we came together and we, we found our aquaponic brother, Steve. <laughs> Yeah, so so we have a, a good variety of experience. Connor been in the direct sales and e-commerce space. I worked as a marketing consultant, helping companies build brands, websites, uh, advertisements, you know, videos. Uh, and then me and Connor also ventured into finance. So we learned a lot about the capital markets, as you can see, because we managed to take pot as public. And Steve himself being the engineer he is and, and the brains behind the project and making sure that the lights turn on and everything works as it's supposed to. I think we got some good grounds covered here. We're, we're really good friends. So I feel like that's something that you don't see in some companies. I feel like that's something really important because knowing how hard a business is to build, if you're not friends, it's going to be a hard, a hard journey. And just to piggyback on that, Alson mentioned that we did take the company public and ticker symbol is Hulk, H-U-L-K. <laughs> 
for green protein. I love that so much. That's so great. Yeah. Hulk. <laughs> yeah, so we're, tra- we're trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange venture. We started trading about a week ago, and and the, we have, we've grown an audience. I, I can say I can see that a lot of people see the problems that we're trying to address. They see the issues that we tackle and the problems that we're trying. And and, and we think if you ask me and Connor from an investment point of view, why do we believe in Pontus? We believe the bigger the problem, the bigger the solution. And that's why we when we looked at Pontus, it wasn't just plant protein. It was the entire way we thought about agriculture. And as we got to know Steve more and more, and we learned more and more projects, it felt like better things were coming up, like biosecurity, automation, uh, AI, the uh, mm-hmm. way things that make agriculture and take it to the next level. And that's when we really put the gas on it. We were like, this is it, because this doesn't just stop and end with plant protein. We we, we want to change the world for the better and and shift the way we think about food. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for for taking the time to chat with me today. I've learned so much and I am... Yeah, I'm I'm all I'm all fired up about plant-based protein, let me tell you. Uh, um, <laughs> you converted. You converted. We're fired up about organic plant-based protein. There we go. Yeah, organic yeah. plant-based protein. Yeah, super organic as we were talking about before. There we go. Uh, <laughs> um I guess the last thing is um if uh, if the listeners to this podcast want to learn more about Pontus, where where should they go? Where where should they go to find out more about about all of the work that you guys are doing in this space? Awesome, yeah. We have our, our website pontuswaterlentils.com. We also have our Instagram, which is Pontus underscore protein for Instagram. We also have a Twitter handle. We also have uh, Reddit, so it's Reddit slash r uh, slash. Pontus. So if you just Google us, we're everywhere. If you want us information, just type in Google Pontus, and I'm sure you'll see lots of posts, third-party posts, uh, our own posts, so, so you can learn a, little, a lot more about our journey and where we've been and where we are not, not now and where we plan to go. Yeah, and the YouTube channel as well for all the, the YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. So if yeah. you want to check out video content, there's we have stuff on YouTube too. Yeah, so we, we're pretty much got all the grounds covered. We're still building our, our media side of things, but we have a strong and interactive community and. We appreciate every one of you, you guys that are listening and joining us on this journey. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys. And all the listeners out there, uh, you remember it, Hulk. Uh, Check it out on the Toronto Stock Exchange and and check out Pontus online. They're doing some really cool stuff in this space. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Appreciate having us. Thank you so much for tuning into this deep dive episode with Pontus Proteins and the What Are We Doing podcast. Thanks so much to Connor, Olson, and Steve for taking part. Uh, I had such a great time chatting with you guys, and it's such a pleasure. And I'm so excited to watch Hulk go soaring up on the stock exchange. If you want to learn more about aquaponics, go to their website. They have a lot of really cool information and a lot of really cool recipes where you can incorporate water lentils and other aquaponics stuff into your diet. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any of our future episodes coming out sometime soon. I'm the host and producer, David Evans, and I would just like to thank the rest of the team from the Aquatic Biosphere Project, specifically to Paula Polman, Sophie Cervera, Anna Bettini. Thanks for all of your help. To learn more about the Aquatic Biosphere Project and what we're doing here in Alberta, telling the story of water, check us out at aquaticbiosphere.ca. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, we'd love to hear them. Email us at conservation at aquariumsocietyofalberta.ca. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. It really helps us out. Thanks, and it's been a splash.